Welcome to the Ever Athlete Podcast, where we discuss performance in life and sport. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Smith, and I'm a coach to elite athletes, CEOs, and everyday humans. In this show, we discuss performance training, longevity, and stories for personal growth. Before we dive into the show today, I want to remind you of the important role that you play in the success and growth of this show. If you enjoy the content that we're bringing through these episodes, please subscribe to the show, share it with your friends, and if you can, leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. What's up and welcome back to the podcast. This is part two of my conversation with John Collinson, where we dive into the biggest challenge that he has experienced in his life. And that was a catastrophic knee injury that he had back in 2021. We dive into the entire experience, ranging from the injury itself to the multiple surgeries that he went through and the whole rehab process. And the thing that I loved most about you know, his willingness to share about his experience is the conversation that we had about his mental and emotional health throughout the entire process. We get very raw. We dive into all the aspects of his return to sport And there's just a lot of really good gems for anyone who's going through a tough injury or a tough period in sport or life. This is a conversation that I think will be really beneficial for you. So without further ado, let's dive into part two of my conversation with John Collinson. Well, I think uh, it's time to dive into some of the more challenging things that you've faced in your career. You've had three big time knee injuries to date. Can you just talk through, let's just do a brief overview. What what are the knee injuries that you've had? Yeah. So in 2018, ruptured my right ACL, rehab that. The next winter, so like 10 months later, I re-ruptured it. And was it a cadaver or no, graft? I did hamstring graft okay. and then re-ruptured that one. And it took, I had to go in for one procedure. They did like a bone graft, fill in the old holes. Then I had to wait for those to grow in. Then I had surgery and then yeah, rehab that. Then like right as I was getting back on snow, COVID hit and kind of shut that season down more or less, which I mean, it sucked, but for me, from like the injury standpoint, I'm like, probably was a good thing, you know, because I was trying to take it easy. So I was able to like, just continue my training and rehab like that whole year. So Mm -hmm. then once I got back on snow, it was like, yeah, two years out, basically feeling pretty good. So, and then I had like a pretty good season, um, the like 2020, 21, and then in April, of 2021 yeah I exploded my left knee pretty good and that was it's a huge understatement <laughs> it was yeah so it was like I blew the or ruptured the patellar tendon ACL PCL MCL and lateral meniscus um so that it was mega yeah so you're just hanging on by your LCL at that point LCL and hamstring yeah. and your popliteal artery was that totally intact yep yeah that's Man. Yeah. You're lucky to be here, man. Yeah. Because that that type of an injury can often just rupture that popliteal artery and and 
you are gone. Yeah. I mean, especially if you're on a mountain like that. Yeah. And Holy that's where smokes. I felt like super fortunate. So it actually happened out at Palisades in Tahoe. Okay. I was doing this event and it was just like refrozen spring conditions, you know, just like kind of bulletproof. And I just had a bad approach to it. I was like two days off of an Alaska trip. So mm-hmm. my head was like, go fast, take chances kind of. And just, I didn't even think twice about the line I was skiing. It was like, oh, this is just a mellow inbounds. Like I'm just having fun. And then, yeah, it just turned out to not be that fun. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but like, I just feel lucky I was there because it, it sucked. And like, if I was out in the back country somewhere, you know, just the extended weights that can happen when you get injured yeah. out in the back country or whatever suck. So was really lucky to just be on the hill. Ski patrol just picked me up, brought me down to the ambulance. And I mean, I'd never been in an ambulance before. And wow. so I was like, I mean, I just, I knew I was pretty messed up because when I was laying in the snow, I was kind of in the fetal position and my knee was bent and I like tried to straighten it. And it was just like, like I just, like my claws just like slinkied up. I was like, yeah. Oh no. And then I like pulled my leg back. I was like, okay, well, I like hamstrings work. And then they got me in the ambulance. Oh my God. And so I was still, my knees were still bent and the, the paramedic or whatever, like, cut my ski pants off and he was like holy shit and i was like holy shit it it was like this bulb it looked like my whole lower leg was like out of place and like up here yeah so that's where they were like oh fuck we got to step on it because i think worried about damage to the artery yeah so like rush me to the er get me on the table and then the doc like the er doc sees my leg and he was like Oh fuck. He's like, we got to get people in here for like traction. And mm-hmm. the, he told the nurse to like pull this quick x-ray thing on it. And she did this x-ray and then they were like, Oh, like all the bones were in place. It was just like the musculature like looked really weird. Yeah. But they're like, oh, okay. The bones are in place. Like this isn't. Yeah. Like, we're, we'll be okay. Basically. Well, if but those, at first, for those listening, John ruptured every major ligament in his knee except for one. And in addition to that, you know, his his patellar tendon ruptured, which when that happens, it basically shoots your patella and your quadricep muscles. They roll up into your thigh. And so I would imagine the doctors looking down at the disfigurement from that and just like, oh, my God. Yeah. And, okay, so uh, back to you. Okay, keep going. <laughs> yeah, no, it was... A bummer. But so then, yeah, they like realized the bones were in place and it Mm -hmm. was just like soft tissue basically. And so they did a few tests, um, like, yeah, ran me through the CT and did the, uh, was like indigo injection or something? I can't remember everything they did, but, uh, basically they were like, okay, you're not in danger of dying. Okay. Like you're free to go. And I was like, and I'd like, I'd busted a couple or not busted but like sublexed a few ribs and shit so i was just feeling like a mess laying on the table you know like my leg doesn't work my ribs don't work so i couldn't sit up or whatever and they're like yeah you're good to go wow and we're in tahoe so we had a flight back and another lucky thing was like my girlfriend was there and she never comes to any events usually i'm out in the backcountry skiing so it's like not gonna 
bring her out there. But it was like, okay, I'm going to this event. It'd be pretty fun if you came out. So luckily she was there and we just like threw me in the back of the rental pickup we had. And she just drove through the night to get back here. Cause I like, I couldn't see myself getting on a plane, you know, it was just like so uncomfortable. So she just, did they even through. hook you up with a brace? Uh, yeah, they put a brace on it. That's nice. Yeah. So I got a brace and crutches okay. and then, but yeah, but like, I think they gave me an ice bag, you know, one of those like rubber floppy ice bag things. Yeah. And that was it. So we just had to keep stopping like to get ice and things like that to get home. Basically just checked your vitals, made sure that you were going to live. Mm-hmm. Didn't give you any information about what was actually soft tissue wise, what was damaged, but said the bones are fine. Arteries fine. See you later. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) They did. So like on the CT, they could see the patellar tendon was ruptured. So I got that one. Gotcha. Yeah. But we hadn't, we didn't know about the rest. Wow. Um, but yeah, so we knew that was a goner and then yeah, came back and then it's just, and it was like a Sunday, of course, you know, so it's like nothing's open. And again, just a testament to people being willing to help personally, you know, like people I've established relationships with. I'm so fortunate because going through the normal medical system is a nightmare. And it was like, as I was going through it, I was like, you know, probably high in opiates. I'm like, I got to change the system. Like, how can people go through this that don't have help? It's like, I'm so lucky. We got in the truck and it was like, I called the last surgeon I'd used, this guy, Dr. Cooley in Salt Lake. He's like, you know, mega big surgeon here. And he was on vacation in Hawaii, picks up his phone and he's like, yo, what's going on? I was like, yo, I just got dinged up. He's like, I'm in Hawaii, but I'll be back Tuesday night. So come in on Wednesday morning or whatever. Like, and we cold called the office and they're like, yeah, you could see him in June or whatever, you know? Okay. So going through the normal system was a no go. So it was like, luckily we had hmm. these good relationships with these people that were willing to help. Yeah. And, uh, so kind of every step of the way, it was just like, I just feel fortunate. Other people were like, so down to, to do something nice for me, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, basically we got home, went to see this guy, Dr. Cooley, like got an MRI he took one look at it and he's like, I'm not touching this thing because he does mostly just ACL reconstruction. And he's like, but this other guy that works in their clinic, he's like, he's really good with total knee stuff. He's a bit younger in his career. Um, so I went in, he got me an appointment with him like the next day. They had me scheduled for surgery within a week because apparently like with a tendon you want to get it back together within like 10 days or Mm -hmm. two weeks because it starts to deteriorate because they're so elastic yep um so yeah luckily got in for that first surgery and then yeah wow okay so the first surgery how many total surgeries did you have i had two for that injury, I had two surgeries okay. and I had a manipulation as well. Okay. Um, to break up scar tissue. Gotcha. And that was after the, after um, the patella reattachment. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause basically they, in the first surgery, they did the patella, the meniscus and the MCL. And then I was basically couch bound for 
like eight to 10 weeks or something. And that was like, no, because how everything works, like the patellar tendon, all the quads, hip flexor, core, it was like, no, yeah. not even like lifting your leg because that puts strain on it. Yep. So it was basically like lay flat and do calf pumps for mm-hmm. like eight weeks mm-hmm. and, and going into PT to try and work the range of motion or no, that might've been after eight weeks. I think I have it all written down somewhere, but it was like after the manipulation, they'll usually start getting, yeah. So that's what heavily. we, I think I was just on the couch for eight weeks and then we started, that was, yeah, when they felt comfortable getting the range of motion going and it was just a nightmare, like couldn't, we couldn't get it to bend at all where wow. previously like. And so again, I was like kind of glad I'd had some other surgeries. Yeah. So I had like a basis mm-hmm. for how things should go. And, and, uh, and I just, with my other ones, I never had an issue with range of motion. It was like ahead of schedule every time. Mm-hmm. And so with this one, it was just like beating our head in the wall. And I had, I mean, I had great help here in Salt Lake, but it got to a point where it was like, okay, this needs more time and attention. So I went out to LA for a couple of weeks um, and worked with like Marco and Amy out there at the Red Bull at the Red Bull okay. Performance Center. Cool. And I mean, basically, just every day we just spend like hours trying to get trying every trick in the book, like grass done or like you know the scraping, cupping, bending it, rolling out the quads. Like, mm-hmm. and I think we got one or two degrees over two weeks, and it was like. Wow. Like just crying the whole time, you know, like laying on the table. Like, yeah. <laughs> and so it was after that, that it was, it was like, yeah, this, I don't know what to do. So I called the surgeon. It was like, Hey, look, we're not getting there. He's like, okay, how do you feel about a manipulation? And it was like, yes, please. Yeah. And which at first, you know, when I was laying on the couch, all immobilized, it was like my worst nightmare. Yeah. It was like, fuck, what if this doesn't bend and then I have to go in for a manipulation? Like, and I was like, don't think about it. That's worst case scenario. But once we got there, it was like, please give that to me, you know? Mm-hmm. And so we scheduled the manipulation, cranked it, and it went from like six, 70 degrees of flexion to like 125. So I, we, I just like walked out of that, hopped straight on the spin bike, spun wow. for like two hours, went to PT. And so that was the game changer. It was like really got things moving Mm -hmm. and then yeah and then basically just tried to strengthen as much as i could because we had to fix the acl pcl still and so we scheduled that for october um and the surgeon was just like just try and get as strong as you can but it was kind of funny because we were still pretty limited in terms of what we could do yeah with still not having two ligaments like for posterior and anterior like shift you know um so we just had to get pretty creative with it and it became i mean honestly it became like incredibly monotonous and it was like i do not want to be doing this but i don't have an option basically Mm -hmm. where previously it had been i mean i have fun training i like it and i like the exertion and the creativity but it was just like so rigid with what we were doing. I was like, I just got to do the same stuff kind of every day. And 
so just like, I mean, I have to, if I want to move the way I want to, like in the future, I got to just do that, buckle down and do it. So I got like somewhat strong. I could do like a, a body weight squat decently well by the time we went in and then fixed the ACL. Yeah. And my PCL had actually like reconstituted on its own. So you didn't have to surgically do it, which was pretty cool. Um, And then it was more or less uphill from there. Okay. Before we move on to the post ACL uh, reconstruction rehab, let's go back to the first eight weeks after you uh, have the patellar procedure. What was going on in your mind during those eight to 10 weeks? I, I, I mean... That had to be actually okay. Here's a good question. Yeah, what was harder, summoning Everest or those eight to ten weeks <laughs> sitting there? And actually, just the whole process of kind of going through this. What was more yeah. difficult? I mean, easily those eight weeks on the couch, which is funny because like when you think about it, it's like eight weeks doesn't seem that long oh. in the grand scheme, but like yeah, damn. When I, I just sitting right there staring at the ceiling, it was like. And just and it was just like, I don't know. I've always had this funny balance of like, I mean, I was like stoked I was alive, and you know, worst case scenario, my knee wouldn't bend right, and I'd lose some of the activities I love to do. But like, I wasn't in a spinal cord, you know, dealing with spinal cord stuff. So like, on that scale, I've always tried to give myself context like it could be worse yeah but but that's also like this funny mental thing where it's like you where i really learned with this one it's like i had to appreciate what was actually happening and not just write it off as like well i'm lucky and it could be worse because it was like it still sucked it's Mm -hmm. like even if you're just an active person and you sprain your ankle and you gotta take some time off it's like that sucks and every person is different and how they heal is different. You know what I mean? So it's really taken me a long time to kind of adopt a bit of a yin yang with like, it could be worse, but I have to give this injury the attention it deserves. Mm-hmm. Because if I'm just sitting here saying it could be worse, it could be worse. I'm lucky. It's like, that's not me putting in any real work into healing it. So it's like, okay, I know this thing is like, messed up and it's going to take a lot of time and attention and it deserves me saying like okay this is serious and i gotta like give it my full attention yeah yeah it sounds like downplaying the experience that you're having i think we confuse having a positive mindset and like trying to maintain Mm -hmm. a positive forward-looking sentiment about ourselves when we're going through hard things that gets confused with this downplaying of the experience itself. And it's like in order to truly, I think in a healthy way, move forward during an experience like that, you have to honor the feeling that you have and what you're going through and, and really meditate on that and and respect that. Because if you try and, if you try and basically downplay your feelings and the experience itself, it doesn't actually like you're not showing the self-respect of like the, the trauma that's going on and right. and the pain that you're in, in the first place. Yeah, and, totally. And, and then like along with that, um, I don't know if it was 
helpful or not, but I think it was, was it, I mean, I never wanted to, I mean, it's like I hated being injured the whole time. Every injury is like, it sucks. And I hate, I hated having to like be the injured guy. I never thought I'd be the injured guy. Um, you know, more or less, I just didn't want to be like, quote unquote, like crybaby, you know, online or like talking about bad experiences when, you know, overall life is pretty good kind of thing. But something that I couldn't, um, it, it was a big thought that I think helped me in sort of that positive way without it being a toxic positivity sort of was I've all my injuries have come from doing something that I want to do and that I love doing. And I think that is an important distinction than if you get injured, say like in a car wreck or someone hits you like something that's out of your control and then it changes your life. Like I don't even know what it would be like to have to deal with that. Because for me, it felt like, okay, well, I was skiing. Like, I'm lucky to be a pro skier. Like, it's a very good lifestyle, and I love it. And I know the risks, and I know you can get hurt. And then I got hurt. So it's like, I had a hard time, like, trying to balance. Like, okay, I got to give this the attention it deserves, but I can't be, like, what was me about it mm -hmm. because it's like I accept those risks every time I step into skis and like that's how the cards played that day or whatever it might be and so that was a kind of important distinction for me as well was like yeah accepting the injury and being like all right this I mean you don't ever sign up for it but if you understand the risks it's like it's part of it or yeah. it can be part of it. So I, I don't know how succinct I was with that, but no, yeah. I think, I mean, it's kind of a dance with those two vantage points or emotions. And I'm curious how you regulated that throughout the process. Like how did you process what was going on? Like, did you write, did you like, what did you do to kind of create mental clarity or were you just kind of in the midst of it, just kind of deep in the thick of it, just experiencing yeah. it, trying to, trying to hang on. I was just hanging on yeah. for sure. I'd be totally lying if I was like, yeah, I had mental clarity. And just good. Like, you didn't come out of this a poet or anything. No, I tried like there was all sorts of stuff. I mean, especially in the first couple ACLs is like, okay, I'm going to learn how to play guitar. I'm going to like learn how to speak French. Like had all these goals. It was <laughs> like, they just get lost in the wayside. And then with this big one is like, okay, I want to like journal about it and kind of like use whatever, all these different tools. Um, and it, none of them worked. Hmm. It was like, it, I tried to journal, but then it, I'm very clinical about things. So it's like my journals would just turn into like timestamps, like woke up, ate three eggs, like did, you know, it's like <laughs> seven Oh five, seven ten. It's like no feelings, no emotions. And like, I just, it wasn't the best way for me to like yeah. process it was writing or journaling or anything. So realistically I'm, I do my, 
for me, the best like meditation is sport. Yeah. And, or, or a rhythm, I guess like a rhythm in sports, whether that's like running or cycling or something where I can like be in this very flowy, like rhythm that helps me like gain mental clarity big time. And so losing that, like not being able to do any of that was, I just kind of like spiraled a bit, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, not out of control, but it was, I just lost motivation yeah. to do basic tasks. Yeah. Sort of. And, uh, and then the biggest breakthrough was I just went for a walk, like around the neighborhood yeah. after, and after like two months or whatever on the couch, it was like, this is awesome. Like just going for a little walk. Yeah. So I was like, okay everything I've always told myself, like through the other injuries, I've had this mindset of like, focus on what you can do, not what you can't. And even when I was sitting on the couch, it was like, I was trying to have that mindset, but I don't think I was like looking at all my options because I've never been one to look at a neighborhood walk and be like, that looks great. I can, <laughs> I would love to walk around the neighborhood, but it still was like, that wasn't even the thought in my head until I went and did it and it was like oh I can go for like a limpy walk around the neighborhood and and so then from there it was just sort of this like slow slow build up mm -hmm. yeah but just getting like out and moving was super helpful yeah and like was kind of the climbing the first rung yeah. of the ladder back up mm. yeah it's interesting to hear you recollect this because I think through social media, we watch these kind of montages of people going through what you went through where there's this catastrophe that happens 30 seconds later, they're on a podium somewhere right. on top of a mountain. <laughs> like, and I was listening to a podcast, uh, a couple weeks ago. I don't know if you're familiar with Tommy Rives. He's a big runner. Um, and, and, uh, he basically, so he's a, a big runner and ended up in the middle of COVID got, uh, this really rare form of lung cancer that they thought originally was COVID. And there's this, you, you, you would really like this guy's story. You should check it out. Yeah. But, um, I cannot recall his wife's name, but so this guy, he gets this rare form of lung cancer, uh, during this period of time where everybody, this is like the, the peak of COVID where everybody's terrified and all this stuff. Anyways, he ends up um, getting put into a medically induced coma for multiple months and they think that he's going to die. Like almost no one survives this type of cancer. And his wife is a poet. She's like this insane writer. She just put out a book. I'm very excited to read it. It's her memoir. But, um, and I apologize for not remembering her name right now, but uh, very excited about it. She was actually the one on the podcast and she was talking about kind of the grieving process. So he, he ends up surviving this cancer and he's back running now. He's doing all this stuff. But this period of time while he was in the hospital and she didn't know if he was going to survive and he had like, dude, every procedure on his body and was just on death's door for multiple months. So every day it was this kind of negotiation of like, is he going to live or you know, is he passing on and they have multiple kids and all this stuff. 
And his wife wrote about it on Instagram every day. So this the stuff that she wrote was just, I mean, just tear-jerking material. Yeah. Really hard to read, but very beautiful. Uh, just in the way that she you know, wrote about life and the emotions that she was experiencing. And so she's on this podcast. She's talking about the grieving process that she went through during that time. And, uh, and the interviewer asked her this question uh, about, you know, what she did to cope during that time period where she's going through this immense trauma, has no idea what to do. And, uh, her answer was, you know, I started drinking (laughs) and and they go through this conversation about, you know, this romanticization that we do about the grieving process and like those deep valleys that we can go through, you know, like this eight to 10 week process where it's like, we, I think we want to project onto people that they're going to learn how to play classical guitar during that time period. But it's for most people, that's just not really how it works. And like just getting through that time period to the other side where you can start taking those walks around the neighborhood and, and being able to like identify like the real work is identifying that that is a gift and like, okay, now, you know, I'm not going to take this for granted. Okay. What's the next step forward? But when you're in that period of stagnation, especially with someone who's so process oriented and has taken on such complex tasks like you, that period where there is no task to take on other than resting is, I can only imagine the mental space that you're in and like how deep of a valley that was, you know? And so, you know, I I don't think that you need to have some remarkable thing to say about that other than the fact that it was like that was terrible yeah and that was hard i respected the fact that that was hard and you know didn't belittle that in myself and then once the time was right i i moved forward and this was a long haul so you go in for that second surgery and then the real rehab the more you know uh we'll say compound and functional stuff begins after that i would imagine So once we get to that second surgery, what was the process like that moving forward, even into, you know, what you're doing now? Yeah. So it, again, it was pretty slow. It, or I mean, it, it all felt pretty slow. Um, and mostly just because it felt like we had a lot of, uh, hurdles, I guess. Um, where, yeah, it wasn't. From even from like the surgeon standpoint, it's like I don't think he'd had to do a surgery like that before. So then it's like there is no protocol, you know, to per se to like rehab a patellar tendon with an MCL and a meniscus, and then to try and strength train without an ACL and PCL is like super awkward. And so like big old kudos to everyone at Red Bull and the PT. Matt, I was working with here, just like they were had to get so creative. Not me. What was his last name? Um, oh, no, I'm on the ball. Uh, Don't worry about so it. Yeah. Shout out to Red Bull. Yeah, Huge to shout out to the Red, Red Bull, Bull and staff. Dynamic PT okay. here in Utah. Okay, um, cool. Can't believe I'm blowing his last name right now. <laughs> but uh, they just had to be super creative. And then, so yeah, once I had the ACL fixed, it was... Yeah, it's still just kind of weird because it wasn't like we could just jump right into uh, an ACL protocol per se. Because there was like still these lingering things from the previous surgery. And it was like just my leg wasn't 
as functional as it would have been with like just an ACL surgery. Um, so it just kind of felt like this funny dance of like pushing it, not pushing it. And, uh, but it really, it was super helpful really to, to get to go out to Red Bull because they do have so much of that testing and the data stuff. So like I'd go out and run through a bunch of tests, like jumping on the force plate, doing the like quad strength test, a hamstring strength test. And so then we were able to really identify like what did need to see a lot of work. So then it was like, okay, we got to spend a couple months like doing, you know, squats. Like I was just doing squats for months, basically. Like once I could do them and then adding in, it was like a lot of ton of like glute and hip stuff. Um, and then from there, it was just like this slow graduation into like sprinting mechanics. Hmm. So even, so for like a few months I was doing just like sprint mechanics, but at like a walking pace hmm. kind of a thing. Yep. Um, and so that was pretty cool. Cause I've never gone through all those progressions before and just how slow we had to take it was kind of funny. But then once we got into the fall, like of last year, once I was more or less like getting ready to get back to sport. And then it was like, oh yeah, those like silly walking things I was doing back in June. It's like, oh yeah, now we're like going full bore mm -hmm. and I have the, like, I understand the mechanics, yeah. you know? Um, yeah. So it was, it was cool. Um, and at the same time, it was a funny balance because like with my first ACLs, I was a hundred percent of the time in the gym, like all day, every day we do like our leg training session. I'd throw in some core and upper body work, learn stuff about the gym, go for a two hour bike ride, like just go, go, go. Yeah. And I just didn't have that capacity anymore with this one. And I had to really focus on like what other elements were important to me would you find i mean it was just time outside so i still wasn't able to do a lot of things but it was just like hiking hmm. so we got ranger our dog yeah last february and so he just kind of we just go hiking all the time and uh so that just kind of gave me like mental clarity got me that rhythm i could just clear my head and then i was able to like dedicate certain amounts of time to the gym but it did become kind of hard for me where previously it was like all the time go hard in the gym and then with this one it was like almost much less of that and i was spending more energy like trying to cover my other bases mm -hmm. for like mentally nutritionally i kind of had to revamp all of it hmm. because that time on the couch just like brought me to motivation zero yeah so i was like okay i gotta like learn how to grocery shop again learn how to cook again <laughs> basically it was like it all yeah, just like went so. out the window and like and it was almost paralyzing like knowing everything i should do it's like i have all the tools and like i know but i couldn't do it to save oh i could do it to save my life but I couldn't perform any of it. Mm -hmm. So it was like, that's where again, like Red Bull has been such a good resource with like the mental performance coach, the nutritionist. So then it's like, I know what to do, but I could 
have a chat with the nutritionist it's like right yeah i should be taking collagen or like yeah i need to be eating this or whatever it is mm-hmm. um so it's just like really helpful to have people in my corner to talk to and yeah. not feel like i was just an island yeah man an injury like that and, and such a long process like that can be so isolating because, you know, a lot of your community is based in what you do, which is, mm-hmm. you know, these major outdoor activities. And when you lose that, it, it's, and I think a lot of people can resonate with this. Like one of the most, um, I think one of the things that's most relatable about your journey is this injury process that you've gone through where very few people are going to summit Mount Everest in their lifetime. People do go on big hikes, but most people do experience the injury process. And especially people that listen to this podcast who are, you know, very active people and are athletes themselves. When you lose that connection to your sport, which largely loses your connection to your community as well through injury, it can be devastating. Um, And so hearing that a company like Red Bull was supportive in that way and just kind of like keeping you bolstered uh, until you got back into, you know, what you're doing now, which is super exciting to hear that you're, you know, we're on the mountain this past winter and are really back to to full activity. Um, Can you talk a little bit about, you know, what this last winter looked like and and what you have on deck for uh, this summer and, and the coming fall? Yeah. 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 I mean, it was the best winter like imaginable to, come back from an injury and cause I helped miss the whole previous season. Yep. Um, which wasn't a big deal. I think it snowed like twice here. Wow. <laughs> it just was like a horrible season. So yeah. I didn't miss much. Um, so yeah, this past season getting back on snow was at first I was just, I was not nervous, but it was like just the unknown and I didn't put too many expectations on it. It was like, all right, once we feel good enough to get me on skis, I'll take it day by day. Mm -hmm. Um, And started skiing and it felt pretty good. Like, or it felt really good just skiing groomers and like arcing mellow turns. But that I'm not, I'm not in it to just ski groomers, I guess, you know? So it was like the temptations to go off trail were large, but it was like, okay, no, just like, don't blow this now you know like we've gotten this far just come on man you're taking walks the around the neighborhood yeah. you're skiing groomers yeah. i thought that's where you know the apex of your career was yeah exactly <laughs> so um and like tried skiing off trail and it was just like no the shock absorbers aren't there hmm. and so that's where so we still we're continuing my strength program um like really focused on kind of just like explosive work and uh but yeah basically like generating force like back up yep i guess yep um so we're doing like a ton of work on that still and because i think that's like one of the slowest pieces to come back totally um so started skiing and then the winter the faucet just sort of turned on around here especially and it snowed and I was like, all right, how's it going to feel skiing powder? And it was like, oh, it feels pretty good to ski powder. So immediately, this was mid-December, I just started ski touring. It's like going for walks on skis to get fresh snow. Mm-hmm. And 
I mean, it was just incredible. It snowed like almost every day. Hmm. Like, so every day I was just getting the fresh tracks and I didn't have to go pound the resort, you know, and deal with like the crowds or the rough terrain, whatever it was. It was like, I could just go out in nature and ski powder. And it was like just magical. And and my whole goal for this year, I was like, I just wanted to stay at home. And I had a bunch of big lines I wanted to ski around here in the Wasatch because mm-hmm. throughout my professional career, I've gotten to travel a ton, um, but have barely done anything around here, huh. which is funny. So I was like, I just, I really want to explore home this year. And uh, so I was looking at a much more like ski mountaineering approach because I figured it was going to be a another bad season basically. And, and I didn't have any big projects it was mostly I just I like thinking about the season my idea was to try and just ski as much vertical as I could and like spend every day possible out there yeah getting to do it and not really film or I was just planning on like running head cam and throwing up instagrams yeah and uh and then it just like kept snowing and kept snowing is like this is unreal like <laughs> it's like I have to start documenting this you yeah. know and and things just kind of fell into place, started filming with a buddy I grew up with here. So we filmed a little part for Matchstick Productions. Cool. That'll be coming out this fall. And also filmed my own project with another guy, Colby Elliott here. Brad. Um, and yeah, so I'm psyched about that. When's that coming out? We, this summer, fall, okay. uh, we're working on it right now. Cool. And... It was pretty cool. I've never done a project on my own before. Um, so it's like a big learning process, but was like really psyched. All my sponsors were supportive of that and kind of gave me the keys to the kingdom on letting me just do what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So I was able to just stay here at home the entire season, which I've never done. And like, it was just, a, it was so cool to go have adventures like I skied in more places I've never been here than like my whole life combined basically and like every day it was go to a new spot and check it out or depending on conditions maybe revisit a zone but a lot of exploring and a lot of powder skiing and then I'd like get to come home and eat a good dinner sleep in my own bed and it was just like I feel like I like I don't know if you can win a season, but like for me, it was like a, a big winner. Yeah. Yeah. And what a gift. Such a gift to not have to feel pressure from basically anyone and not feel pressure to need to travel or pressure to perform other than your own, my own pressures I've put on myself. Yeah. But um Yeah, it was great. What's that relationship been like with your sponsors over the last couple of years? I would imagine going through the process that you just went through. That's one of the weights on you. Yes. Wondering, man, am I going to, do I still have a livelihood to come back to? Am I going to be supported? What was that like for you? It was, I mean, super stressful. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, and again, I try, I like, always weigh how I'm feeling based on an outside perspective, which I don't know if it's the best way, Hmm. but so for me, it's like, I mean, I've led this incredible life up to this point and had 
you know, all these amazing experiences working with these brands, they've been supportive. And so it's like, I honestly wouldn't blame them if it was like, Hey, <laughs> this is your third go. Like we got to cut ties cause hmm. it's too bad. But I mean, it's just amazing that they, I felt pretty much full support from all my brands, even throughout this injury. And it was super stressful because all every single one of my contracts was up in December, like this December. Wow. So I was, <clears throat> yeah, I basically like came off of my ACLs, signed all my contracts and like in December or whatever, and then got injured again in April. So I basically was like out for the whole contract, the whole contract <laughs> for the most part. And so it was just like, oh man, like, what am I going to do? And previous to this big injury, I'd launched a ski program in collaboration with this app and it like did pretty well. Fitness training, right? Fitness training. Yeah, yeah. cool. And, uh, and it did pretty well. So I was like really excited about this fitness journey and like continuing it. So when I got hurt again, it was like, it stopped that dead in its tracks too. Mm -hmm. Cause I was like, well, I'm not, I can't, I couldn't even fathom like thinking about trying to help other people train when like I could barely get off the couch, you know? Yeah. So like that was stopped dead in the tracks, but I basically got to this point last, this last summer where I was preparing to get back on snow and I basically tried to hustle my sponsors as hard as I could to be like, Hey, are you going to re-sign me at the end of the year? Because it, it felt really important for me, you know, from June to December, it's like, am I going to put my effort into like being a professional skier or now that I'm like a functional capable human, should I be like, almost switching my focus. If I'm going to lose my sponsors, I'd like to like start building some groundwork and in, in the, the fitness side of things mm -hmm. and more or less, you know, every, nothing's cut and dry in contract world, but it was like, felt like I was going to get the support I needed. So I was like, all right, that is amazing. And I just like kept my head down and focused on being healthy for ski season they got re-signed by everyone and um and so then yeah just it felt really good it was like big time validation big time yeah like validation and it was like being with brands and it's like they have my back yeah and that's so incredible because it's i don't feel like it's that common i don't know to I, I don't know but it's just like i just felt like so so lucky that it was like every single one of my brands was supportive. That's crazy. And I, I think that goes back to the relational element. I mean, just the way that you've approached your career and the relationships that you developed, I find it really hard to believe that that didn't play a role. Cause you, I mean, a situation like that, like you said, it is understandable for a brand to protect their bottom line. If they have an athlete that they're paying that can't produce the thing that they're paying them for it's it's difficult to justify that when the contract comes back around especially with the history that you've had with that right knee but dude i, I mean it just comes I, i've 
I think that it probably comes down to the relationships that you've created and the person that you've been for those brands as well. I mean, it sounds like you're, you're highly valued by all the, to have all of the brands say yes is a pretty incredible thing. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Really cool to hear. Yeah. I mean, so it sounds like we're, you're going to continue the path as a professional skier and continue to pursue that. What are the, what are the next big goals that you have coming up with uh, on that front? On that front. So right now we're still kind of in the trenches getting this project buttoned up. Um, and so it, it sort of hinges on that because I never, yeah, have done my own project and it's like quite a different undertaking than when I've gone out and worked with production companies. But what's so been the hardest thing? The, uh, <laughs> what did you take for granted the most <laughs> when you were working with production companies? The, just like the organization element and, uh, and then now that we've like finished filming everything, bringing it all to life, um, where, you know, it's like, honestly, most of the work is with Colby, my buddy that did all the filming and is going to edit it. Mm-hmm. It's like, he has like the real hard job, but he also has multiple other projects he's working on. It's like being a filmmaker is his full-time gig. And so just trying to keep like the ball rolling so to speak where it's like okay we wrapped up the season we'll take like a breather and then it's like okay yeah we it's like got to get in the editing bay got to go through all these interviews etc etc and like build out the story we want to tell um so i think like this maybe the storytelling aspect was i took that for granted Hmm. where it was like okay we got this idea this is going to be great and then it's just like this fluid shifting thing where it's like we couldn't accomplish exactly what we wanted like objective wise so we had to shift the story here and then and it's like I've fallen more and more in love with the idea we've come up with Hmm. but it's also gotten scarier and scarier in terms of like what we're actually going to put out and how it's going to be received Hmm. Um, because it are you holding off on talking about that or well yeah because we just haven't that's fine. It's That's like, totally well, fine. I think because it's going to take the whole story. Every time I've tried to like elevator pitch it, I'm like, man, this sounds like garbage, kind of. <laughs> like the basic idea is I've spent my whole life in the mountains and in nature, and I have like a great, great respect for the outside world and as well as all the other people that use it. And as our spaces are getting more and more crowded, issues come up, you know, whether that's with land management or just interpersonal things, like when you're meeting people out there. Mm -hmm. And it's not necessarily a problem that needs to get fixed, but we've put a lot of emphasis on just getting people outside, right? Like being an athlete for a brand, it's like you want to build the best gear and then you want people to go use that gear and have this great experience in nature that helps them appreciate that world as well. Mm-hmm. And But what we haven't done a great job at is looking at like the numbers of people. It's like, all right, well, we built really good gear and we got people outside, but like, how now do we manage 
people in this space that there is no guidelines, there's no rules, there's no governing body, there's like, you know, more or less there are no laws. And that's why you go out there and do it. But there is still a lot of other people out there and we're all using this land. So like, how can we keep this, how can we create a space that can make people feel good as beginners, make people feel good as experienced riders? And how do we like manage the land well to keep it going? Yeah. So it's all of that. And we're trying to figure out how to like bring it to life. Yeah. More or less. But yeah, I think the focus has been on driving volume and not so much organizing how that happens because ultimately like what we want from outdoor experiences is to connect with the land and for that to drive like an internal process of really appreciating it and wanting to take care of it and proactively taking care of it. And that back end, I think has some work to do. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) Totally. Yeah. And, uh, that sounds like a great project, man. Yeah. That sounds really cool. Yeah. I'm excited. It's like every time we shoot an interview with someone or we're just kind of chatting about it, I get like super amped up. So yeah, I'm excited. And, and so I'm hoping that we can bring it to life in a way that like helps me kind of pop the creative bubble and, and want to tell more stories. Yeah. Um, and kind of go that route with my skiing is mm-hmm. like telling cool stories in a succinct way, as well as like achieving great athletic accomplishments that I want to. Yeah. Um, cause I'd, I'd love to do a lot more human powered stuff because it's like, that is my background. I'm, I like going uphill and coming down. And so just pursuing more of that. Cool. Yeah. Dude, it's awesome. Yeah. I mean, to this point, you have lived quite the story, my friend, and uh, it's been really fun chatting with you and, and getting to hear, you know, some of the uh, about some of the journey that you've been on. I really appreciate your time. Uh, before we wrap it up, where can people find you and follow your journey? Uh, plug whatever you have online right now. Cool. Yeah. So I'm most active on Instagram. It's at John Collinson, and I started YouTube. I'm trying to put stuff on it, but I'm not very good at it. Um, I mean, mainly it's Instagram. Cool. Yeah, that's kind of... Okay, we'll plug that in the show notes. And uh, looking forward to the projects that you have coming out, man. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks so much for your time. Yeah, thank you. All right, that's a wrap on today's episode. Thank you for joining me for another round of the Ever Athlete Podcast. I will catch you next time. <laughs>